You can be seated. I had been, I'd known for some time that there were two speaking opportunities today, and I knew for some time that this would be a very special and important service. Not that it necessarily is more important than others, but just maybe meaningful on a different level to so many. In the past couple of weeks, I had been laboring over, what do I share? You know, I mean, a church with such a rich heritage, uh, such, a, such a, a great past, a fruitful past, and such a bright future. You know, I, I saw us at this threshold where we have this past behind us and this great future in front of us, and, and I remember just really seeking God and, and, and beginning to get actually concerned. God, what, what do I need to say? What do I need to preach? And it was just a few days ago, asking God that very question. God, what do I need to say? And he just reminded me right here, Jamie, they don't need to hear from you. They need to hear from me. And by the way, he said, furthermore, it's always been that way. (laughs) (laughs) Would you join me in opening your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12? I hope that we hear from God today. That's the plan. There are some texts that are very fitting to us at certain seasons in life. For instance, John 3.16 took on a whole new meaning to me when I held my firstborn son. At that time, my only begotten son. And at that time, John 3.16 took on a brand new uh, meaning for me. Uh, For some of you, you're able to look at Proverbs chapter 31 and it have a very special meaning for you because that Proverbs 31 woman to you represents your mother or your grandmother, or your foster mother, or your aunt, whoever it was that raised you. So there are often seasons in life that we can look to the Scriptures, and God allows us to be able to view that truth through a fresh lens because of our current circumstances. And when I had decided and landed here on Hebrews chapter 12, it wasn't until very late, in fact, my message had already been written and drawn up, that I realized that there was an interesting relationship to Hebrews chapter 12, and where we stand today, June 5th, 2016. Let me read the text to you. It starts out by, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's stop in verse 2. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews apart from the Holy Spirit. We know it was the Holy Spirit that inspired men, man, but we don't know what man exactly. There are different uh, theologians believe different things. 
Some believe it was the Apostle Paul. Some believe it was others. But what we can take comfort in this morning is knowing that it was God through the Holy Spirit that wrote the book of Hebrews. And the reason we started in chapter 12 is because it begins with the word therefore. And you remember me saying before that whenever we find a therefore in Scripture, we need to back up to see what it's there for. So we're really starting our text this morning uh, really uh, in, a, in, a, in a place that really isn't, isn't a complete thought. The writer really, now, now we know that, that the, the titles, uh, we know that the chapters, we know that the verses, though all of the words originally were inspired by God through the Holy Spirit, the chapters and the verses are really the addresses that men have given them so for research and study and memorization. So, so somebody had looked down at chapter and decided that they would make a chapter break right there, right in the middle of this thought. And that's not uncommon in the Bible. But I want you to think about that word, therefore, because the two verses we read this morning, the writer is saying this, I want you to run the race. He's reminding those believers that I want you to focus on that track in front of you and I want you to run with endurance that race that is set before you. Now, throughout the New Testament, this idea, this concept of games and athletic competitions is is not new. It's found in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul referenced it quite often. So this isn't some new teaching because the games were important, races were important, to that day, uh, classical Greek games were, were very much in style in that region. So he's writing something that they can understand. He is painting a picture for these believers that the journey of faith, our faith in Christ, the kingdom work is really like a race. And he tells them in verse 1 and 2, I want you to run the race. He's encouraging them to continue moving forward. But he gives us that therefore. He's saying this, because of what I'm saying, what I'm saying now, because of what I have said previously. Therefore, is a great connector. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 are literally there. He is literally saying those because he has built on a foundation that he laid in chapter 11. What did he lay in chapter 11? What, what foundation did he lay down in this thought for these Hebrew believers? He went back through their history. He went back to mighty men and women of faith. And he gave a short synopsis of their life. He gave a short synopsis of their accomplishments of faith. He talked about all that God had done with each one of those down throughout many dispensations of their history. He goes through and outlines, we call it the hero's roll call of faith. So he outlines many by name and some without names. The first part of Hebrews chapter 11 starts out with the positive stories of people uh, seeing walls fall down and people, entire nations delivered and dead raised to life. And the chapter ends saying that some people were sawn in half in faith. Some people dwelled in caves. Some people were hungry and malnourished. He describes both sides of faith, both the victorious and the struggles that often accompany our walk with Christ. And he tells him after he has outlined this whole history, this great faithful generations that have come before, he then turns to them and says, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? 
because of all of the faithful people before. Three things the journey of faith, the race of faith needs. First, we need to realize that if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we're on a race. We're in that competition. We're not competing for our salvation. We are competing for rewards for the kingdom. We are competing. We are not running to get ourselves saved. We are running because we are saved. That's what the Bible teaches us. I want you to see three things. First is this. If we're going to run this race right, we need to look at others. You can't help but notice in the first verse, he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's making sure that we know that this journey of faith is not one that is to be ran alone. It is one that is intended to be run with other believers. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you have your spiritual race partners with you. Many of you have those friends and accountability members and family members that spur you on. That as you begin to get tired and, and discouraged, you've got those people that you can call and they encourage you. Those people that may not even know that, you, that they look at you for encouragement. You see their faithfulness. You see them running with endurance and you pick up the pace a little bit. Your chin starts to drop. You look over and you see those faithful believers beside you and you lift your chin a little bit as well. You put your back into it. You lean into it and you begin to run a little more. We're all on this journey of faith in Christ together. We're all running this race. So it's not just important that we look at others beside us. I love this part. The writer says we're to look at those behind us. Seeing that we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Seeing that we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. What is he saying? He's drawing on this, providing a mental imagery. Of a coliseum type of thing, an event center, if you will. We know those picture NASCAR, OK, but on foot. They're running the race and there are people up in the crowds that are there to watch. People that are there to cheer them on as they run around. He is painting a picture for them to say that we are down on the track and we are running. And there are people that are literally up in the stands and they're, they're cheering and they're, they're shouting and they're encouraging us to run. Now some would say, does that mean that Moses right now is looking down on us and then he is Moses turning to Christ and saying hey they're preaching my verse no no I don't find any reason to believe that the believers that have gone on before us are looking down upon us and some may ask why one major reason is this if beholding Christ is as amazing as I think it is why would I ever want to look down here Really, if beholding the one who died for me and loved me and gave himself for me, the creator of all things, if I have that opportunity to behold him unhindered, without a filter, to behold him as he is, why would I ever want to gaze somewhere else? Why would I want to look, look down here at failure? 
Why would I want to look down here at, at, at missed opportunities? Oh, yes, sir, there are good things, no doubt. But I want to behold the face of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I was made to do. I want to have fellowship with him that never ends because that's what I was made to do. So what are these witnesses? I believe that these witnesses, the groundwork that the writer has laid, he is saying this. You have seen through the example I have just told you in chapter 11. I have shared with you the accomplishments and the victorious faith of the people that have come before you. And what he is saying is their lives stand as a witness that you can live a life of faith. He's saying, in essence, that Moses' life has been given to us as an example, that Abraham's life has been given to us as a model. He's looking and saying that Gideon has been given to us as an opportunity to be able to see and to model what victorious faith is really like. And he's saying to them, if you're going to run this race of faith, you don't, want to just, you don't want to run it alone. You want to grab a hold of running partners. You want believers that are going the same direction as you, that led to believe the same as you, that, that can encourage you and uplift you. That will be your spiritual Gatorade. But he's also saying, you need to be able to look back. Therefore, because of these lives that have been lived behind you, move forward. Think about how perfect this little verse is. But it starts out at, therefore, a crossroads between a past and a future with a rich heritage and a bright future in front of them. Guys, you, you know the stories. Many of you have heard the stories of faithfulness from men and women of God in this building that loved Jesus so much they weren't afraid to show it. To serve sacrificially. If I remember the history of this church right. This sanctuary. Most of the work done on this sanctuary was done during the Great Depression. People would literally bring nails. From home. To put towards the building. Of this building. You see you and I are able to go down and do something that maybe not a lot of churches are able to do. We're able to go back and look over 127 years of rich history. Men and women who labored for the cause of Christ. Were they perfect? No, none of us are. Spoiler alert, this generation is not going to be perfect either. But those men and women, some of them, and you know who I'm talking about, many of you. Some of those saintly men and women, some of those great followers of Christ, some of those tremendous disciples, some of those amazing servants of God, with their very last breath, they would shout hallelujah. Some of them would literally limp across the finish line. If you want to picture it like this, it seems to me that the writer of Hebrews is not just saying it is a race, he is saying it is a relay race. That this previous generation has handed off a baton to another generation. And that generation has run and handed it off to another generation. And that one has run and handed it. And so on. And now we find ourselves at a place where we are at the therefore. Some of those people that handed off that baton to us. 
were beat down. They had labored and their shoulders were weary. Their legs were weary. Their arms were drooping. They were literally dragging themselves across the finish line and to reach up and to hand the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a legacy of faithfulness to this generation. And what do they say? Run. Run. Take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gone as far as I can. Now friends, if you think this is just a spiritual generation truth, I think we would be mistaken. I got two boys sitting right there. They look just like their mama. You know what? You know what? There is going to come a day where I will have the privilege to run as far as I can and to reach up and to hand them a baton of faithfulness. I pray that when I hand that baton off, it will be a legacy and a heritage of faith. Not that it will be theirs, but I will, I hope, provide everything that they need in order to run themselves. It's not just a spiritual generation. We literally, are our children are the therefore of us. There's going to be a generation, if the Lord tarries, that looks back at this moment, that looks back at this body, that looks back at this spiritual generation. They want to know, have we been handed a legacy a heritage of faithfulness. The writer doesn't just tell us that we're to look at others, for that would not be all that helpful, all things considered. He says that we are, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Think about that phrase for a moment. Let us lay aside every weight of sin that so easily ensnares us. Bree told me a story that when she went to college at Pitt State that she walked into a room and one of the guys was shaving his arms. Even in 2000, that was not popular. Shaving his arms. She asked him, why are you shaving your arms? Right? Freshman walked into college and she sees a dude shaving his arm. Why are you shaving your arms? He said, I'm a runner. Why are you shaving your arms? That dude was so serious about that race. He didn't even want something like a follicle of hair to provide drag. Dude, think about that for a minute. Let us lay aside every weight. Here's a thought for you. The classical Greeks would run with no clothes on. You know why? Because they didn't want anything to trip them up. They didn't want anything to make them stumble or potentially cause any kind of drag. They wanted to be as lean and sleek as they possibly could, and that's as far as I'm going. <laughs> they, they, I don't know where they'd put their little number tag exactly, how they'd get that on. But they did not want anything to slow them down. They valued the race. Think about this for a moment. This person who plans, who prepares, who goes to the extent of shaving his arms, the one who trains and gets ready in physical shape, the one that slims down because he wants to run that race, he takes the race very seriously. Do we take the race very seriously? 
Does our journey of faith and the purpose and calling of Christ on our life, does it have value to us? Is it not part of our life? Is it our life? Those men and women that do that have to put in the work in order to sweat. They have to literally trim down. They have to build up muscle. They have to know what they're doing. They have to stay focused. All of that requires work. But they're willing to do it. Why? Because of the race. The Apostle Paul said that those in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he was talking about the contrast between earthly races and eternal races. He said that those that run in earthly races, they, they get a temporary crown, but we run for an eternal crown. We run literally to glorify Christ, to be used of him to the best of our ability. And ultimately, what a great thing to think of, that we worship a God who loves to bless his people. I told you this before, I can't think of a greater thing, really, of, of all the great things that my mind can conjure up. Can you think of anything greater then that one moment when you pass or you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to know that he has a crown, a reward to provide for you. That he would give me a reward for doing something he told me to do and gave me the ability to do in the first place. That the king of glory would place a crown. No wonder the book of Revelation says that they cast them back at his feet. They prepared, they participated, and they were called to persevere. Do we take sin seriously? Is there sin that's been hiding in our heart? Is there sin that we've been attempting to cover up, thinking that we can run the race with that added weight of sin? Are there other things that may not necessarily be sin, but may hinder us and keep us from giving our full devotion to the cause of Christ in our life? If so, those lesser things need to be prioritized and set aside for the cause of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the third thing, final thing. We'll end with this. The race of faith, we look at others, both beside us and behind us. We look at ourselves for examination and preparation. But again, those two things would not be enough to finish the race. For he says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. The one who laid out this track. The one who has started it and will end what we're a part of. You see, guys, here's the truth. Buildings crumble or get sold. Memories fade. And people pass. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we are serious about running our race in faith, we cannot just look beside us. We cannot just look behind us. We cannot just look at us. We must lift our eyes. This imagery that Paul is painting is so rich. Because in those Colosseums, 
as the runners would run. There were three bodies there. There was the runner on the track. There were the people cheering in the stands. And then there was the royalty, most generally, the governors or the generals, someone with prestige that would be at the race as a special person sitting in a special spot to observe. Think of it as the president's box. And what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, run, make sure you've got yourself taken care of. Realize that they have already laid out all of this encouragement and shown you how it's done. But do not just trust in looking beside you and behind you and at you. Lift up your eyes to the ones for the gives us the reason to run in the first place. Guys, if we are trying to run this race of faith without looking to Jesus, it's going to look like a three-legged race with six people. We're going to be falling all over the place. Why would we not look to him who is our example, who is our encouragement? Do you guys realize what he says here? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? Those are two words that I would not think of putting together. Joy and cross. Now I can, but then cross was a cruel and inhumane form of punishment meant to prolong life until maximum torture had been Inflicted, and what the writer is saying, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. There's a reason. There's a reason he said those words. The two words I want you to notice really carefully as we end cross and throne. Who for the joy was set before him endured the cross. Why is he saying that? Because the journey of faith is hard. It's difficult. But he reaches up. (laughs) He's taken all of these great heroes of faith. He's put them up on this shelf. And as a capstone to his teaching. He sees these Moses trophy and the Abraham trophy and and, and, and the Joshua trophy. and the J, Apparently you had to have J in, in your name to be a hero in the Old Testament. And he would show all those trophies and then he reaches back. And he gets the biggest one he can find. And he sets it up above them all. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand the throne of God. He takes the great humiliation of the cross and places it right next to the greatest honor to be seated at the right hand of the Father. What he is saying is, listen, what your, your race is difficult. Your race is challenging. It has always been, but there is a glorious honor that awaits all who are faithful. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down, his work is done at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, we don't know when this race ends for us. None of us know. But I was told one time from a man who runs, taught track in school, He said, one of the things you have to know when you're running track is that when you see that finish line, you don't run to the finish line. He said, you run through the finish line. 
church, friends, family, we have been handed a tremendous heritage. We have been handed a rich history. There have been many faithful men and women by the leadership of God that have handed off a baton to us. And are we going to look at ourselves? Get our spiritual body in shape for this race? Are we going to value this race? And lastly, are we going to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? If you've never started this journey of faith with Jesus Christ, yes, it is a challenge. Yes, it is difficult. Oh, but friends, there is nothing that can compete with the joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven and that you are right with God, that whatever may befall you in this world, it is well between you and God. You can have that assurance. You can have that confidence today to know that your eternal soul is secured through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I've got men that stand ready today to be counselors for you. I've got women that are ready to talk with you and to pray with you. What I want you to do, if today you've never began that relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to be able to come down and say to those counselors, I'm ready to start the race. I, I, want to be, I need to be saved today. If you're saved and you haven't been taking that race seriously, I encourage you to come down and pray. Rededicate your life. Say, God, I've been focused on so many other things other than what truly matters, and that's you. And today I want to, I want to confess those sins to you, confess those things that stand as a hindrance and encumber me from running. And today I want to, I want to clean that up, God. I want to be ready and fit for the race that you've called me to in life. Father, we stand today at this threshold. We do look back. We do look beside us. We do look inward. Oh, but God, we look forward. We lift our eyes and behold Christ, the one who has charted out our path, the one who has made this trail that we're on, the one who is there, Lord, to encourage us and to strengthen us and to provide what we need for this race. Pray this morning, Lord, that you would have your way. We would receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We would rededicate our life if we would need be, that the race would have value to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.